You're listening to the Faith and Other Oddities podcast, brought to you by the Raven Creek Social Club, where we talk about faith and other oddities. For questions, comments, or to be part of the conversation, join us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where you can find us at Raven Creek SC. Now for your hosts, Emily Dixon and Nathan Underwood. So we, we had an exciting time recently, um, as you know, um, but the audience doesn't. Uh, Mickey and I actually got away for the second time since our oldest was born without any children, and it was <laughs> fantastic. Yeah, I know you didn't have any kids because I had them. Yes, well, th- yeah. <laughs> and so did Aaron. I should mention that. So yeah, yeah, it wasn't you, just me. <laughs> thank you for watching them. Um, it was great. We got two nights in Eureka Springs, nice little hotel there called All Seasons Inn. If you're in or near Eureka Springs, go check it out. We it had a good time. It sounded like a really cool little spot. It was. It was it, it it was about two it's about two blocks off of downtown. So you're you're close enough, you can walk to everything, but you're not um not in the middle of everything. Not, yeah, you're not right in the middle, so you know, there's not a buzz around your place while you're trying to sleep. Um, you can, you know, if you want to go during the middle of the day and take a nap, it's not just, you know, tourists everywhere because and, that's basically what Eureka Springs yeah, is. Yeah. And if you've gone to Eureka Springs, you know that one of the things you really want is a place to stay that you can walk to the downtown area because driving through and fi- oh, yeah. finding parking is just a mess. Yeah. There's, there's not much parking there, but, uh, man, uh, and you and you know how I am with food. Mm-hmm. Oh, the food was so good. Well, <laughs> it, it always is. Well, what there was some really good stuff there, and some things I would like to try the next time I go. But what what kept happening is uh, we were we were walking so much that by the time lunch came around, or dinner, or whatever meal, or you know snack. afternoon snack, whatever, <laughs> it's like I need meat. I need some. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I need mm-hmm. some food. And it was funny because it would be, you know, we'd be walking along and it would be maybe 10, 15 and I'd be like, well, what are we going to do for lunch? And Mickey and I would have just had breakfast not too long ago because, uh, you know, the breakfast was included in our, in the price of our stay. So we'd have a good big breakfast. And then she'd be like, I'm not really that hungry. And I'd be like, well, it's, it's 10, 15, just wait. And about 1130, it's like, I'm about to starve because you're just moving all day long. Well, and you're going up and down hills. Up and down hills. Yeah, the our first day there, I think my phone recorded that I had gone twenty two flights of stairs, right? <laughs> equivalent, um, just based on all the walking, and it was a lot of fun. We took the next day a little slower, um, but it was. It's just a still, cute little town. It's yeah, and uh, a shout out to uh, I had one of the best sandwiches, and and you know me, I'm not like a sandwich person. No, you're really not. Um. But they had uh, this restaurant called Nibbles, and they had what they called their version. It was the Nibbles, in quotes, on the menu, burger, unquote. And it was uh, it was uh, tenderloin that was, like, just right about rare, maybe a little past rare, but n- not much. It was so good. Only way to eat it. And, yeah. And then it was sliced into really thin strips. And then piled on uh, ciabatta bread uh, with um, cheese of sorts. I don't remember which what kind. <laughs> and then it had, um, I think it had some veggies. I can't remember. But then it had uh, a wasabi mayonnaise. And like, but it wasn't a lot. It was just enough to like that give it a little good. flavor. It was so good. So if you're ever there and you want some, I mean, just. I mean, and the meat was done just perfectly. I mean, it, it was, it, it was great. It was one of the best sandwiches. So check that out. Um, if you, if you're up that way, I recommend it, but yeah, we, we had a good time. So. It's a good little vacation spot just for a weekend getaway from where we are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's not too, yeah, it's only like two and a half hours from our sister's house. So that helped out a lot that we could, you know, drive, you know, it's two hours to about two and a half hours to Aaron's house. And then another two hours. So it was, it was not a whole lot of driving for us. We, we could break it up and we stayed the night at Aaron's house and left from there. So we got there early. We managed to have a full day basically there. And it was great. It was and great. then we just let the kids run wild for the time y'all were gone. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we're, <laughs> we're still kind of recovering from that. So Yeah, yeah. I, I'm not apologizing. 
Uh, this is the prerogative of being the ants. So, <laughs> you know, you kept them alive. So that's the important part. I, you know, I, I consider that a job well done when it comes to me babysitting anybody's kids. Yeah. So. <laughs> and injury free this time too. So hey, score for me. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, well, this is the last episode, right? That we're doing on Genesis. And, yeah. and now we're not doing a chapter. We're actually, we're hitting some of the, the more interesting things that so some, some things that we touched on mm-hmm. that we kind of went back around like there, there's, there's going to be something there. And so Emily's been uh, knee deep in research while I've been waxing floors at school. Um, <laughs> so I haven't done as a ton of research on this, but um, we're going to touch on some stuff that we thought was, was interesting, kind of bring it back around, flesh a couple more things out, and then we're going to uh, move on to judges after this, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, that's, that's the plan anyway. Uh, so I figured what we'd do um, last episode when we were talking about Jacob's uh, blessing to his sons, mm-hmm. we, while, while we were recording, we realized that the JPS and the ESV had two very different translations of Jacob's blessing. And the ESV says that uh, Jacob calls Joseph. Calls him a, a wild ass. That's, well... The, the JPS says he's a wild ass. The ESV says he's oh, a, a strong bow. A bow. A bow. Yeah. Yeah. Strong bow. Sorry. So. Yeah. So that's, yeah, that's how it goes. And so we were trying to figure out um, why the difference, uh, what is the best translations? And we kind of hypothesized some. Uh, and, you know, sometimes that can get you into trouble. Right. So I spent a lot of time trying to figure out why we'd have these two massively different uh, translations. And I'm going to provide what I found. And of course, I don't think either one's necessarily wrong. I I think that both can work. And and we talked about why they could work. Um, Both had the potential to work within the context of the scripture itself. Right. And so. Which which actually kind of is funny because. You don't, you get two different meanings, but neither one really detracts from the story. Right. And we're talking about how it's kind of interesting that there's not many books that you can, that you could write that way where either translation option works well within the narrative or what you're trying to say about someone, Mm -hmm. or it's possibly interesting that, you know, both those things were intended. So it's, and it's, it is possible. And I think that's the thing. I, 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 don't think it's an accident that both work very well. And um, so one of the first things I'm, we do whenever we're trying to figure out which translation is the, ba- the best, one of the things we have to recognize is that we have two major manuscripts for the Old Testament. Uh, one of them is the Septuagint, mm-hmm. and one is the Masoretic. The Septuagint's in Greek, and the Masoretic is in Hebrew. The Masoretic is not as old as the Septuagint. Um, right. So a lot of times we want to go back and see what the Greek actually has to say. And we want to see how the Hebrew writers of that time decided to translate the Greek into I mean, the Hebrew into the Greek for the Septuagint translation. So, well, and, and because something to point out here, you're talking about what they're, what they're doing with the, the translation, you can kind of get a little bit of their mindset. Right. Well, I mean, it's it's funny to me. I, I've I've had some friends ask, you know, what's what's a good resource for something with that doesn't have a whole lot of bias or <laughs> is it, and I'm like, you know, objectivity, like a hundred total objectivities. It, it's a myth. It, it's a yeah, exactly. It's a myth. It's 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 unachievable. Right. Everyone comes to something with their own bias. We try, and that's why we have the peer review process nowadays mm-hmm. in a lot of academic circles. It's not an evil process, it's, despite what people may have heard. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, but it, the idea is to try to uh, take, out, take away our subjective uh, opinions, try to, to, to get, us away, get us away from like overly agenda-driven uh, mm-hmm. types of research. Or at least to temper it so that we recognize where the agenda is coming mm-hmm, in. Because mm-hmm. even if we can't do away with it, if we can recognize we have an agenda, sometimes that helps us kind of draw back and not be so... Heavy-handed? Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, so, so yeah, that, and, and, that, and I say that because it happened with translations then. It mm-hmm. happens with translations now. Different Bible translators have different philosophies. They have different ways of doing things. Um, and... 
and you can really see when when you have like a a board that's more you know just an easy example excuse me you might have one that's more complementarian you mm-hmm. might have one that's more egalitarian mm-hmm. in the way that they translate a lot of the verses that surround uh, oh, the women abs- of the bible absolutely and I think one of the things, too, we're going to see as we go into the book of Judges, because I've already done a lot of research for that, uh, we actually see the bias between Jewish commentators and Christian commentators. Mm -hmm. That's going to come out. And, you know, are either one of them completely wrong or right? A lot of times I can't say that. So most of the time the answer is somewhere in the middle as far as what I'm looking at, Mm -hmm. because I like for my Jewish commentators to be right because I enjoy them so much. I mean, honestly, they're just more fun than right. most of the Christian commentators. But uh, theologically, of course, I side more with the Christian commentators. So I, I have to um, kind of balance that out. So well, Yeah, and you've actually, you've, you've mentioned that before. I can't remember in one of the earlier episodes where you said you basically had to abandon what a lot of the Jew, like we had to. Uh, yeah. That's when Joseph was, uh, Jacob was wrestling with the angels. Yes. That's, I couldn't remember mm-hmm. which one it was. I was mm-hmm. thinking it was something about Joseph, but yeah, it was when, uh, because in, in Judaism, you would not have God, uh, correct wrestling with people. Yes. And so, you know, we have to take that into account, but, uh, anyway, back to Joseph and, and this wonderful question, is he plant animal or mineral? Um, I went back to the Septuagint and I'm not going to read the Greek cause that wouldn't do most of y'all any good. Uh, but the English translation is Joseph is a son of increase or he's fruitful. Mm-hmm. My dearly loved son is increased. My youngest son turned to me. And so that's Genesis 49, 22. That's the verse that we have the controversy. Um, so after we look at the Septuagint, one of the next places we go is the Aramaic Targums. And I've explained what those are before, but just real quick, these are um, basically commentaries or paraphrases of the scripture that were written in Aramaic because um, this is what the majority of the people spoke. Right. And so um, a lot of times they will go into a little bit more um, detail, a little bit more background. They aren't, you know, they are not canon. They, they aren't inspired gospel or, you know, Bible, but they do give us a viewpoint of uh, an insight into how these scriptures would have been viewed, particularly during the time of Jesus, Mm -hmm. because a lot of times the Hebrew text would have been read and then the Targums would have been read alongside of them in the synagogues. And so um, the, uh, one of the more famous is Targum on And it says, my son that will grow great Joseph, my son that will be blessed like the vine upon the spring of water. Two tribes will proceed from him, from his sons, each receiving an inheritance share. So that Targum is leading towards the fruitful translation. Right, which, uh, which could have been taken as a fulfillment of Rachel being prosperous or being it, fruitful. Exactly. Even though she died uh, on the way to it, the promised land. Exactly. And then, of course, Joseph does name his second child Ephraim which means fruitful. fruitful. Mm-hmm. And so um, Targum Pseudo-Jonathan said, my son who has grown great, Joseph, my son who has grown great and strong, and it was further necessary for you to be strong that you overcame your evil impulse in the matter of your mistress and in the matters of your brothers. I compare you to a vine planted upon the spring of water that sends forth its roots and breaks the teeth and uh, the tr- teeth of the peaks and with the branches conquers all the trees of the field. Hmm. Um, so we have this, um, this phrase here, and it's, it's, in Hebrew, it's ben parat. Uh, and actually, we, we don't have this used anywhere else. So okay. this is a one-time use word. Uh, it, as translators, we hate these one-time use words because we don't have <laughs> anything to compare them to. It's really frustrating. Uh, we like having multiple uses so that we can see it in different contexts and, and give the best translation. Uh, but it's a really weird word. Um, it, the spelling's odd. The, the gender, because in Hebrew, the, the genders, uh, all words have a gender. They're either sure. male or female. And it, it just, it doesn't fit. Right. And so it, it's ambiguous at best. Uh, we think it might be a very old form or some uh, translators think it's an old form. But then we got this guy who came along, and his name is E.A. Spicer. Now, E.A. Spicer is an archaeologist. He's the Harrison Research Fellow in Semitics for the University of Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. He speaks Hittite. 
Nice. I mean, yeah, anybody who can do that's kind of impressive. Uh, he was part of the JPS translation team. Cool. And he's most <laughs> famous for his work with the Anchor Bible. And anybody who's serious about uh, Bible um, research, they're going to know the Anchor Bible. Mm -hmm. And so he notices that um, Joseph being compared to a plant is kind of unique in Jacob's blessing. Because if you look at the other brothers, they're all animals. They're, yeah, yeah, they're all animals. <laughs> so why is Joseph, you Just know, a bunch of animals? Yeah, it's Sorry. snakes. Um, <laughs> yeah, and it's just not, it, it doesn't fit. And so he proposed that this was a loan word from the Arabic, not the Aramaic, but the Arabic. Okay. And this is when he proposed that it is a wild ass. Okay. So, okay, that sounds good, but it's still a really weird form. And, um, we have problems with the, again, with gender, with numbers, um, it, but it does at least mirror where, um, Jacob says that Judah is a lion's whelp. Okay. So we've got the same structure kind of there. Well, and it, and it also, um, it also kind of echoes Esau, mm -hmm. or it was not Esau, Ishmael. Um, Ishmael. Um, you know, that that was the prophecy of the, over him, that he was going to be a wild ass. And we're going to actually, we're, we're heading down that road. Okay. Because. Oh, sorry, I'm getting ahead of you. No, it's, it's okay. Because uh, now, we've said this before, rule number one is scripture interprets scripture. Mm -hmm. And Spicer actually notes that this echoes another form. And the form is found in Psalms 92, 9. Okay. And there's in a couple other places, but I just pulled the one because I think it um, demonstrates what we're trying to say. And it's got this progression and it says, for behold, your enemies, O Lord, for behold, your enemies shall perish. All evildoers shall be scattered. And and this progression for behold, for behold, and then the for behold in the third line is implied. Now, if we go back to a very literal translation of the Hebrew in Genesis 49, 22, it would be a son of a wild ass is Joseph, a son of a wild she-ass at a fountain, a wild ass by Shur. And the, that's a Hebrew word, Shur. Um, we're going to get into what that means. Okay. So, um, but notice you have that same implied, a son, a son, and then the implied, a son. So we have a, a Hebraic form with an, Arab, an Arabic loan word. Hmm. And even the fact that it's an Arabic loan word is going to be important here in a second. Um, so scripture interprets scripture. And what's really interesting, and I did not put this together. Again, this is why we need people who are smarter than us. Genesis 16, 7 says the angel of the Lord found her. Now he's talking in this scripture, found Hagar, found her by the spring of water in the wilderness, and a spring of water on the way to Shur. So that's... How, how much more clear can you get that <laughs> yes. it's about uh, Rahab? A, a Hagar? A, a Hagar, yeah. Yeah. I, I get all those ancient names mixed up, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, the, yeah, of, yeah, of Hagar. Yeah, it's... Yeah, a <laughs> by a spring of water in the wilderness, a spring of water on the way to Shur. Shur's a city. Um, and so... When we continue with the story in verses 11 and 12, um, the angel blesses Hagar and says, Behold, you're pregnant. You shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild ass of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone against him, and he shall dwell over and against his kinsmen. And so Genesis 25, 15 says they, and we're talking about Ishmael's sons, settled from Havilah to Shur which is the opposite of Egypt in the direction of Assyria. And he settled down, uh, settled over against all of his kinsmen. So Esau is inhabiting this area. Uh, he's living in Shur. Um, the tribes in, uh, of Ishmael would t become Arabic nations. They would become Arabic tribes. Mm -hmm. And they're listed off in First Chronicles. And in Genesis, Jacob, the, the writer of Jacob's blessing is telling us that Hey, there's a connection here because I'm going to use an Arabic word to describe Joseph. So we have a linguistic connection. We have the textual connect, uh, connection. 
um, geographic connection. Exactly. And if we go on into verse 23 and in chapter 48, Genesis 48, 23, the archers bitterly um, attacked him. Ishmael, he's a bowman. He, he's an archer. That's in Genesis 21, 20. The tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh, they're going to go on to inhabit the lands where Ishmael was. So when Ishmael's uh, descendants leave this area or whenever, uh, by the time we get into the conquest of the promised land, mm-hmm. that's where Ishmael's descendants were. Ephraim and Manasseh, Joseph's sons, that's what they're going to inhabit. Hmm. And so it, it's the hill country. And also this is the area uh, for Jacob. This would have all been significant because the hill country is where every sacred event in Jacob's life occurs. Right. And it's, it's that place where Ishmael, um, Ishmael lives. So yes, the, um, the language seems to match up with the idea that fruitful and increase works, mm-hmm. but I think there's more evidence that the wild ass is probably the correct. Well, it would, it would seem to tie into themes that are already being used. It would seem to tie also into the imagery that's already established. Mm-hmm. And especially if you're uh, leaning on the side of sing of of single authorship, you know. Mm-hmm. Of course, you know we see editorial stuff in here, right? Um, but if you're looking at mosaic authorship, it would make sense that he might use the same theme again. Well, and, and we've got to remember because we've talked about this before too. There was such a villainization of Ishmael, sure, and, and there is this really strong bias against him, and and I do see that coming out. Uh, in both Jewish and Christian writers, but I don't find it in the text. I don't find it in the Bible. Now, we do have Ishmael being a problem later on when the prophets sometimes talk, but they're talking about the nations. They are not talking about Ishmael the person. Right. And so for Joseph to be connected with Ishmael, um, there's some significance there because they were both exiled. They were both cast out of their father's house, not um, by by their choice, and um, now Abraham sent Ishmael out and the brothers sent out Joseph, but then they, they returned to their fathers before mm-hmm. the father's death or at the father's death. So there, there is a linguistic connection there. Yeah. And, and, I, and there's an implied reconciliation between the brothers um, with Ishmael and, and, uh, right. and, and Isaac. Yeah. Cause they both gathered together to um, bury Abraham. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think. Which, which makes me wonder also about about Paul writing in Romans about the Jews being cut off and sent out and then talking about how they could, if they were, they're not beyond, uh, they're not stumbling beyond uh, repentance, you know? And so I, I kind of wonder if there's some kind of parallel that we see there in, in the text. There probably is, but now we're talking theology and not just the text and I would have to. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, but, it, you know, all scripture is profitable. And I th- uh, absolutely, yeah, I, I've yeah, no doubt about yeah. that. I'm just I'm curious to see if if there's if if there's kind of this idea that we keep getting it wrong, and that's and that's actually I mean because we've talked about this before quite a bit off mic about how um you know Israel was supposed to be like the the keepers of the mm-hmm. law; they weren't the owners of the law, and right, and and they they didn't own the truth; they didn't own access to God; they were supposed to give it away. Exactly. And they're supposed to go into the world and, and be the light of the world. Mm-hmm. And so you kind of have this idea where, you know, Israel's looking at, uh, you know, uh, Isaac's looking, you know, Israel looking at Isaac and Ishmael and saying, oh, well, we were chosen. Right. And, and the fact that if you don't actually read the text, then you're, you're not seeing that reconciliation factor. Mm-hmm. And that's where I think we got in trouble a lot of times because we kind of sided with that as Christians. Oh yeah. Look I, at and, me. How great am I? Cause God picked me. Yeah. And, <laughs> and so I, and we start, we start getting that, that self-centered focus. And then Paul even says, you know, don't get arrogant about this because you can be cut off too. Mm-hmm. So. Well, and I, I think this is where, um, you know, you and I have been listening to Heiser's uh, series over Exodus, which is why we're not going to go into Exodus next. Sure. Um, but you know, he talks about, um, the Kinsonite, um, theory and the hypothesis. Kinsonite. Kinsonite. Well, it depends. There's Kinsonite. It's the same word. It's different translators put a Z in there. Some of them don't. Kinsonite's easier to say. 
Um, so uh, we're probably going to go with that. We're actually going to talk about that some with judges. When I'm you not... say Kenzanite, it makes me think of Kenzie. The... <laughs> right. That's a whole different thing. It's a different thing altogether. Completely. And um, because the idea that these tribes, whether we're talking Esau or Ishmael's descendants, we're still worshiping, at least some of them, we're still worshiping the God of Abraham mm-hmm. while the people were in Egypt, while the Israel was in Egypt. Right. And so um, I think there's some validity to it. I, I personally kind of, I, I like that. I, I like that idea because it goes on to further illustrate there's a difference between being the person chosen to, to accomplish a certain task by God and then being saved from hell. Right. And right. so... Well, it's it's really, and of course, then what what is the what's the teaching on hell? You know, uh, especially at the time, because we don't really know. It's not really uh, it's not a big deal in the in the ancient. Oh, we really. The world. Yeah. The, the concept of an afterlife is so. It, it, there's an idea of it, but they, they don't nail it down. They, they really don't care about it. Matter of fact, uh, the rabbis even you know, who are writing much later than the Old Testament. Mm-hmm basically say, you know, if you start thinking about this, you're going to go crazy. Yeah. And so don't worry about it. This is God's dominion and you're a human being, so you're never going to understand. And, um, and I'm comfortable with that. Right. I'm like, yeah, I'll, <laughs> I'll ponder it and I'll, I'll, I'll think about it. But, you know, whenever I think about uh, being part of the part of the kingdom, like the afterlife to me anymore. Yeah, that's wonderful. I love the idea that we all get to go to a reward. Um, but that to me is kind of, it doesn't feel like the primary driving goal is that is to, to be saved from hell. Right. It's, you know, it's what does God want me to do for his kingdom here? Yeah. So right. Right here, right now. And yeah. that, and I think that's actually a much healthier way to view it. And I'm kind of like you, it's like, it's a great thing to kind of sit and ponder, but here's the one thing I know about God. Yeah, it, well, and, and it's a promise we should hold on to for mm-hmm. sure. I mean, I don't. I'm not trying to discount it, but right. I think it's it's like it's, it's real. It yeah, it, but, yeah. So I don't know. It, that's a whole other topic we can go <laughs> on uh, later on. But I, I think that I think thinking about what's going on in the world around us and and how we get to be part of serving God's kingdom here, I think mm-hmm. that's something that that we should just way more important. Go, wow, we we get to be we get to participate in this shake and bake and i help <laughs> yeah uh, so, yeah i know and like i was gonna say the, the one thing i know about god is it's never what you expect with him it's always something that exceeds anything mm-hmm. we conjure up and you know that's kind of why i figure about the afterlife whatever we might have some little glimmers but it's still going to be beyond our understanding yeah and so oh, yeah we're, there we're, we're, there's gonna be so much stuff that we're gonna go on oh i had we're going to get to heaven and every single person, regardless of how smart, how regardless of how far into the text we go, regardless of, of how far into perceiving God and his wonders and creation, we're going to get, we're going to get to, to the other side and go, well, I was wrong. wrong. <laughs> I had some dumb ideas and, and myself included, I probably have some really stupid ideas about God. Um, but I, th- I think I have the really big ones, you know, in firmly in hand. <laughs> Well, yeah, yeah. And it's kind of like, okay, I've got, yeah, okay, even trying to draw that mental picture. Okay, I'm going to, I'm going to leave that there because you actually sent me on a totally different rabbit trail. I'm sorry. Uh, Yeah, because we're going to, we're going to get way off track. Um, So you asked, asked this question. I was ready to shoot you before it was all over with uh, because I started digging into it and you asked me if there was any connection. Wait, where, where are you at? Where are you going? Here? We are going to talk about the Python spirit. Have we wrapped up the Joseph yes, thing? Yes. Yes. Do we I feel think, like that's yeah. well in hand? Okay. Recap real short. Okay. I'm pretty certain that his father called him a wild ass with the greatest affection possible. So I, I it think... It used to be a compliment. <laughs> exactly. You know, it's like when you read Song of Solomon and you're like, <laughs> David's into some funny looking women or... Uh, Solomon. Yes, yeah. Solomon. Song of Solomon. <laughs> so Solomon's into some funny looking women. But uh <laughs> Mouthful of sheep. <laughs> Mouthful of sheep. Um fuzzy teeth? What? 
I find a toothbrush when I feel like that's happening. Uh, so, so anyhow, uh, so we so we wrap that up. Okay. Yeah. So right. okay. So you ask if there was any connection between the Python spirit and the Nakash. Okay. First off, we have to talk about what the Python spirit right. is because exactly. I real I probably everyone's going. What are they even talking about? <laughs> They've like, gone off the deep end this time. Uh, so do you want to read that or I have... Um, do you have the reference? I'll... Uh, yeah, it's Acts 16. And I just look at uh, verses 16 to eight through 18, I think, kind of covers the whole story. Okay. Acts 16, 16 through 18. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm in John. <laughs> like, why is that red? <laughs> he wasn't that far into Acts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> So Acts 16, 16 to 18. Um, As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us crying out, these are the servants of the Most High and who proclaim uh, to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, (laughs) turned and said, to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. Okay. Okay. So this, that's the ESV and, uh, it identifies her as having a spirit of divination. Uh, if you read this in like, I think it's the King James and some other versions, it's going to say a Python spirit. Mm -hmm. And so now we all know what a Python is. So that's where we're, that's our basis for talking I'm about this. Pull it up here in the another translation. Okay. Check. Because well, while you're doing that, so that's our basis for, for talking about the Python spirit. Um, you ask if this had any relevance with the Nakash. Now, just a quick reminder a Nakash was, uh, we first encountered it in Genesis 3. This is the, the serpent in the garden. Uh, and we're going to talk about whether it really was a serpent or not. Uh, Laban says that he is a Nakash, that he's able to divine things. Joseph also claims to be a Nakash. So we have this term that's been appearing in Genesis, and um, both have a snake connection. So that's why you asked the question, and now we're going to kind of go into it. Did you find... Uh, the, the KJV I have here says a spirit of divination, so I'm... Okay, if but you I, the Greek does say Python or right. Pythian. Yeah, I, I had heard that the Greek says Python. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, yeah, it actually means to rot. And um, but we're going to talk about that. So um, basically, here's the story because this has to go back to to Greek mythology. Um, there was a place called Delphi, and mm-hmm. this is where people would go to um, to get their fortune told. Supposedly, the god Apollo um, guarded it. To, to back up, because um, Apollo was the god of prophecy. He yes, and the sun. Yes, and Apollo was the son of Zeus. Well, now if you know anything about Zeus, you know Zeus was um, a philanderer. Oh, okay, yeah, that's um, where I thought you were going with mm-hmm. that. And Hera, his wife, was not real happy about Zeus's affair with a gal named Leda, or a, a goddess named Leda. It just depends on which version you read. And she sends this python to chase Leda all around so she can't have the twins, Artemis and Apollo. And when Apollo gets older, he decides to take revenge on this python and kill it. Okay. And so he kills it and he, he, it goes back under the earth and it rots. And now this python had been the, the uh, protector of Gaia. Uh, Gaia okay. is Mother Earth, sure. for those of you who aren't familiar. And they built this temple where the python was at Delphi, and there was a chasm there. And we actually know that there was a crack in the in the ground, and these vapors and fumes would come up that were believed to come from this rotting python. And the uh, Pythia, <laughs> the priestess, would sit over the crack, and she would breathe in these fumes, and then she would prophesy. And... Now, why she prophesied is a really good question. Uh, you know, whether this, these fumes and vapors had some kind of hallucinogenic property, you know, oxygen deprivation. Yeah, huffing. Yeah, was it um, spiritual forces at work? We, we really 
don't know, but uh, we do know that most people believe that she just basically babbled. And she was not known as a prophetess, by the way. She was known as a mantis. Yeah, we, um, we talked about yeah. that. So, and then the prophetes, prophetes uh, the Greek version, would then interpret. Uh-huh. Uh, and usually but what he said, what his interpretation said, um, kind of depended on how much money you were going to give the temple. Fair but enough. that's a whole... So the, there's this general idea in um, ancient cultures that, that snakes inhabit this area that between the, the spiritual and the physical realm, that they can serve as a kind of umbilical cord. Uh, that's one way that I, I found them described. And it, it makes sense because Delphi was considered to be the navel of the earth. So if okay. you have the navel of the earth and you have this umbilical cord, but then you know, put this back into the Garden of Eden, the beginning of the earth, where we start to have life. And Eve being the mother of all things, this python being the protector of the mother of all things, all the gods. Um, so you have this, you do have this connection between prophecy and the snakes. Mm-hmm. And um, the other thing you do is you have is these snakes are often very hostile to the gods okay. in Greek mythology. And there's a fascinating paper that I spent way too much time reading because it took me far afield. But they actually go through <laughs> all of the heroes that have snake-like prophecies in, uh, in Greek mythology and show how they're all hostile to the gods. And the idea that these snake beings whether we're humans with just snake characteristics or actually snake beings are, are trying to displace a God. And I thought that was very interesting. So we have, we do have some, we, ha- we have some connections in iconography. Right. And we have some connections in just the, the, the symbolism. But the thing is that it, it's good and bad. There's an ambiguity with the snakes. The snakes can heal or the snakes can curse. Um, they actually, they can actually stop the curses of the gods okay. in some Greek mythology. And we see that in the Bible because the Nakash in Genesis, he's bad. Mm-hmm. But the bronze serpent in the desert being held up is healing. Right. And so, and that's also the same word as the Nakash. Um, right. And it's, it, it's bronze or, or shiny. And so... We, we have those connections. I, I think that um, we, we do see, like I said, these, uh, these themes that connect. Now, nakash in, in Hebrew, it can be a verb or a noun. So let's start with a noun. So okay. it can be a noun. So that's serpent, mm-hmm. uh, which, you know, Genesis 3. And that's the reason why we have it translated this way so often. It can be a verb, which is to practice divination. Mm-hmm. It can be an adjective, which means bronze or shining one. And so um, when we get into Isaiah 6, 1 through 12, the seraphim, they're, they're bright and shining ones. Okay. And uh, these yeah, are, I've heard that. Yeah. These are, and these are angels. Um, in Isaiah 14, 12 through 15, we, we come back to this Nakash shining one imagery. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, uh, Ben Sakar Halal, um, I believe is how, what is it? Oh, Halal uh, Ben Shakar. Okay. Get it in the right order. Is Shining One. That's actually where we get the, the Latin translation of that's Lucifer. And so that's where we get one of the names for Satan because Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28 also, you know, we're talking about the fall of Satan here. Sure. Um, but they're, they're both connected to the Nakash imagery again. A cherub in other Semitic languages means Shining One. Mm-hmm. And so we're connecting, again, back to divine beings, which when we're talking about the python at Delphi, we're talking about divine beings. Right. And because the snake was not a, um, a regular reptile, the snake was a supernatural being who, even in his death, was able to provide supernatural insight to, to mortals. So hmm. you start to see how the... Im- the imagery starts to pile up on right. each other. Yeah. And, and, the, and the snake also, I mean, and just from a, from a naturalistic observation standpoint, the snake did kind of get a supernatural uh, status mm-hmm. because snakes, what do they do? They appear to die. Right. And then they are reborn again out of their old dead skin yes. that they shed. 
So we have this imagery of dying and rising mm-hmm. again. Uh, it, it's interesting that Ezekiel twenty eight twelve. Um, if you look at it in the ESV, it says that um, this Prince of Tyre is a signet of perfection, but it actually can also be translated serpent of protection. Hmm. A perfection, sorry, not protection. Mm-hmm. Serpent of perfection. Um, if you notice in both Ezekiel and Isaiah, the, these these serpents or seraphim, the shining ones, get cast down to the ground to Eretz or Sheol, but basically under the earth. Mm-hmm. Where is this Python spirit now? Uh, from or the Python from Apollo? It's under the ground. Right. So we we have the connections with you know we both. The shining one and the python snakes mm-hmm. work very, very much. Uh, they're so blurred together in the Bible that we really don't know if it was, this, you know, did the serpent, did the Nakash appear as a serpent or did the Nakash appear as a being, uh, a human being, a divine <laughs> being, what it, whatever image it took. Right. But it's so closely uh, connected that we do have that serpent in imagery. Um, python opposes Apollo. Nakash opposes. Yahweh, uh, both the Python and the Dinakash, they provide supernatural insight and knowledge. Mm-hmm. They're both cast down to the ground or beneath the ground. And so we have that very um, powerful connections, in, again, in themes. We don't have it linguistically necessarily, but we have it in themes. Now, there is a blurring of lines with the snakes in, in the Nakash and the Python. Are they good or are they evil? Mm-hmm. We have that with both the Greek uh, myth and we have that with the, the Hebrew myth. And the thing is, with the divination in the Bible, same thing. Right. We, you know, the diviners of Egypt, they were able to reproduce the miracles of Moses. The question is, was that good or bad? What, what power, uh, you know, sponsored their actions? Right. And was Moses, was he good or bad in being able to do the things that these evil men were able to do? So, I mean, it, it's got this really weird dual manifestation. Uh, Laban claims to be a Nakash. The Bible never says he's not. And it even kind of gives the implication that he found Jacob and Rachel and Leah as they ran away because he was a Nakash. Yeah. And that, and, yeah, and that was my main question was about the Nakash and the prophecy bit. Like, like, mm-hmm. is there a connection between Laban saying he's Nakash and then the, this kind of theme of the snake being a tie to prophecy? So there's definitely thema- thematic right. ties. There's there's something there. Did you find anything that, like, do we have any points of application for that? Well, or is there, is it just a whole bunch of interesting We've got a whole lot of interesting things. Here's here's the what it boils down to. And let me finish. I'll finish I mean, up I'm the not, I'm not trying to discount what, yeah. what you're saying because it's, it's very interesting. And I know that it seems like there's something there that I'm not quite putting <laughs> my my head around right. that, that, to tie these things together. Okay, well, we do know Joseph is the, it says he's a Nakash. The Bible, again, never says he's not, never gives an example of it, because all the stuff he does with the brothers, we have reason to know why he can do these things. Mm-hmm. Uh, the girl in Acts, uh, she, she, when she speaks out, she does something. She causes chaos. And mm-hmm. so... Mm-hmm. Uh, the Nakash, from the beginning, this is what he's doing. He's causing chaos. Uh, if we go to the divine being, not necessarily the act of prophecy, but the divine being himself sows chaos. She's saying what's true. Mm-hmm. There is nothing wrong with what she's saying. As a matter of fact, even when the serpent speaks in the garden or the Nakash speaks in the garden, he, he asks a question. He never says anything. He asks questions. And so he's sowing chaos. And whenever the, the magicians in Egypt do their thing, and when Laban does their thing, it's always with the idea it's, it's partial, it's incomplete. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so, again, chaos. And so my conclusion with all of this crazy stuff is that basically the New Testament writer, uh, here Luke, said, here's words that the audience understands. Mm-hmm. Here's something that my Greek audience would go, oh, yeah, a Python spirit is prophecy. Mm-hmm. And the Hebrew audience would also say, snake, nakash, it all fits. It's prophecy, but it's, it, it's prophecy that causes chaos. Okay. And so I think this is why Luke chose this. 
I don't think we can make a really great one-to-one linguistic case, but I think we can definitely, like I said, bring in the cultural themes and sure. tie those together. Sure. Okay. So, and that's like the most distilled version of that I can give you. So <laughs> <laughs> he started talking about chaos and stuff and I was waiting for you to mention order. And I'm like, now we're getting into Jordan Peterson territory here. Like, well, okay. So <laughs> actually that, that reminded me because uh, when Plato, sorry, not Plato, when Homer writes about the, the Python at Delphi, he calls it Dracani, which dragon. Yeah. And so Leviathan. Leviathan. Yeah. So we're right back to the chaos thing. And I, I I'm, man, I, I wanted to study this even more. And I'm like, this is the beginning of it. And then that ties into the Fishers of Men thing. Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> I don't have all the verses for that pulled up, but... Yeah, we're we'll, probably we'll, going to get we'll some have comp- to hit. Yeah. <laughs> if you have questions about that, let us know. We'll try to get it on a Q&A. Yeah. And we will be doing a Q&A <laughs> at just some a, point. Just a teaser there. <laughs> yeah. But because that's fascinating in and of itself. So um, we have really one more uh, thing that I, I, I actually brought this one to the table. And it's kind of at the request of some people mm-hmm. um, because the there's just this overwhelming idea that the Bible, particularly the Old Testament, hates women. Right. And that women just should be appalled that anyone would ever agree to follow this patriarchal uh, religion. And I think, you know, well, I know, I don't think. I know that as we went through Genesis, I was shocked at how often God did things on the behalf of women. Oh, yeah. And, you know, we weren't even looking for it. And I, I was just, I'd be reading this and going, oh my goodness, how can we never teach this? And what I wanted to do is just to, to kind of highlight how much love and value God places on women. Mm-hmm. I, I wanted to, to bring, bring all of it together into one little concise thing. And this is just Genesis, okay? And, and is this... All of Genesis, or is this just everything after chapter 12? This is, uh, well, I'm going to talk a little bit about Gen- uh, Genesis 3. Okay. But then pretty much everything after chapter 12, because I was just blown away. So l- let's start with Genesis, actually Genesis 127. Is, is it kind of like one of those things like when you read them just one after the other? Like, yeah. Um, it's, yeah. It's like I was, I was thinking like whenever you hear things listed together, it's like a Arrested Development when George Sr., <laughs> It's like hearing all of his charges read and he's like just starting to, he's like, when you hear him just one after the other like that, it sounds really bad. It does. Uh, well, it sounds really great, actually. This it sounds point, really, but, yeah. It does, yeah, it's the opposite. You know, we're, we're turning things around, right? Right, right. So um, let, I wanted to start with Genesis 127 because when I ask women, and, and I've done this a lot, I like to ask women, tell me about the creation of women in the Bible. And immediately they go to Genesis 2. And I like to to say, no, back up to Genesis one twenty seven. Uh, the verse says, and God created man in the image of God. He created him and made him male and female. He created them. And first thing I wanted to point out here, image is not ability. Right. Image is status. Mm-hmm. And so women, is we are explicitly included in the status alongside equally with men right there there's no distinction here so um the the second cool thing we aren't going to go into some other lessons we could go because i we don't have time but when we go to genesis 2 15 and this is um sorry 3 15 genesis 3 15 god's speaking to that nakash that we just talked about and god says i will put enmity between you and the woman between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you will bruise his heel. This is the first promise of salvation. And who's God talking to? Well, he's talking to the Nakash, but he's saying specifically it's going to come through the woman. Yeah. I Now we know that the offspring require... Biologically. Yeah. We, you know, you, they, you know. Got to have both the male and the female there. But it's the woman who is important here. It would have been so easy to say that, you know, it would have been Adam that would have given birth to you know, the yeah, offspring. Yeah, because, because we talk about the descendants of men all through 
throughout. the whole Bible. And so this is, it is an anomalous statement here. So, yeah. So, so when God's talking, he's remembering the woman and we aren't talking about the men. Right. And, and when something, and when something is not following the pattern, when we're not talking about the descendants of men, like we typically are. Yes. Maybe we should pay attention. <laughs> yes. And so for God himself to actually put this kind of value on women in our role in bringing salvation to the world, we need to celebrate that. Mm-hmm. Um, Genesis. Now we're going to jump to Genesis 12. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarah. Mm-hmm. The first plague, the very first plague set loose on Egypt is not because a whole nation is enslaved but because one woman is enslaved. That's cool. And yeah. I mean, and we, we fly right by that. Oh, well, Pharaoh, you know, he had a little, little illness, a little sickness, however you want to, you know. But no, the first plague, this is huge. And why doesn't the Bible talk about this? Because Genesis is being given to people who have just seen plagues. They don't need this described to them. But I think we need to, to realize the first plague God actually turns loose on the world is on behalf of Sarah. So the next verse I want to go to is Genesis 16, 7. And it says, and the angel of the Lord found her. This is Hagar. If you Mm -hmm. remember, we just read this, (laughs) found her by the spring of the water in the wilderness on the way to Shur. Okay. This is the first appearance of an angel outside of the garden. Mm -hmm. And it's to a woman. It's to a foreigner. It's to a slave. Right. Well, and this is the this is the first time you see an angel doing something positive for humanity. Yes. Because in the garden, he's to keep them out of the garden. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it's it's a totally different role. And this is. Um, well, I mean, I don't know, I guess it's not the only I, keeping this out of the garden is probably actually you know God says it's for our own good. Yes. But instead of being something defensive to keep people away, he's he's providing. And this isn't just any angel. Let's take this a step further. And the angel of the Lord. Right. This is embodied God showing up for this woman. Right. And, you know, we're going to see him again. And one of the next times we see him, when we're getting ready to talk about it, uh, is in Joshua 5. And, you know, he's going to lead, lead Israel on the conquest of the Holy Land. This is just not any angel. This is the angel. Mm-hmm. And... When we have that, when we realize that the first time God shows up bodily for outside of the, the garden is to a woman and a slave, mm-hmm. that's huge. He, he's not even done this for Abraham yet. So Hagar calls God, um, Elroy, you are the God of seeing. Truly, I have seen the God that looks after me. That's Genesis sixteen thirteen. To see and be seen is an indication of God's love and protection. Abraham is not going to get this until the binding of Isaac, and that's in Genesis 22. Mm-hmm. So she's the first one to understand that being seen by God and getting to see God is what it's all about. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, it, it, seriously, how much better does it get? So Genesis 27, uh, chapter 20, verse 7. This is uh, God speaking to Abimelech because Abraham's been an idiot again and passed Sarah off as his sister and forgot to mention she's also his wife. It says, now return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, so that he will pray for you and you shall live. This is the first time we have a prophet activated. This is the first time we have a prophet who is singled out in the scripture, and it is for the sole reason and purpose of liberating a woman. Hmm. And... His, it, not only is he activated, his, um, his role is defined as one who will pray on behalf of someone who is in danger. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> now, Very interesting. The, overall, the story of Abraham and Sarah, one of the things that really stands out, that stood out to me is Abraham's experience of the promise is delayed because he fails to value Sarah as his wife. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's not until he puts her in her proper position and understands what God wants to work through her being and through her presence in his life that he is able to receive Isaac. Yeah. And, excuse me. A little choked up there. A little choked up. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, <laughs> But so the, the promise, Abraham's promise is delayed on behalf of Sarah and her importance is confirmed 
when Jacob has his name changed and his name is changed to Israel, which is built on the same stem as Sarah's name. Mm -hmm. And I love that, that it's not Abraham he's named after. It's It's, not Isaac. It's, it's Sarah and Sarah, you know, she's just been drug all over the country and not really valued at all, Uh, you know, pimped out to two different guys. And God says, she's the one that even today we call Israel, Israel, we call it by her name. Mm -hmm. So I I just, I think that's awesome. Um, Sarah's death in Genesis 23, it becomes the event that solidifies Abraham's legal claim to Canaan Mm -hmm. because she, he purchases the grave. She becomes the reason that he and all subsequent generations are bound to that land with a legal claim. Yeah. She's the one who starts it all. Um, Genesis 24, Rebecca and Isaac, when Eleazar goes and, and asks and says, hey, I'm looking for a wife. And they said, let's go to the girl and ask her if she'll go with you. That's unheard of in this time. Exactly. Yes. And, and he's, he's moving on behalf of God. Uh, he, 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 he is the one who, who really shows us that picture of the Holy Spirit, because in this chapter, we don't have his name. He's that image of, um, of what the Holy Spirit is doing. We see this throughout Genesis, but the theological implications of this, amazing, because if Israel is the bride of God and the church is the bride of Christ, then we have the free will of the, of the believer is affirmed in Rebecca's choice. Oh, wow. And, I hadn't thought of that. So that's, that's interesting. Oh, oh yeah. And, and to value a woman who was seen as worthless and a pawn to have the right to choose, it, it's, it's insane. Uh, Rebecca, when her family blesses her, they use the exact same words that um, are used of Abraham and God's promises and, and blessing of Abraham. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So women have equal standing in the community and equal right to be blessed as the men. Um, when God moves on the behalf of the unseen and the unheard or undervalued woman in Genesis 29, Leah, he, she said she names all of her kids to reflect that God has saw, seen her pain and suffering. He heard her and that her husband's going to become more attached to her. And then in the end, she praises the Lord versus Rachel, who was loved, who had to manipulate mm-hmm. in order to, to get children. Lee is the one that God says, hey, I'm taking care of you. Um, the uh, first time a family acts like a family is with the rape of Dina, when Levi and Simon go in and ramsack Shechem. Mm-hmm. Um, first time that men have had actually stood up on behalf of a woman and Jacob's silence there is deafening. But the fact that Dina's story echoes throughout all of Israel's story and she's remembered tells us that this was an atrocious event that God did not forget. Love that fact. Um, First acts of repentance. I know I'm running through these because there's just so many first act of repentance, Judah and Tamar. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the woman who breaks the man that in a good way so that he can actually step up in Egypt and he can help reunite the family instead of holding on to the bitterness that so many, you know, that had caused them to try to kill Joseph in the first place. Right. And, you know, it's from Tamar's children that we see the Messiah is going to come from. Mm-hmm. And so in case you missed it, Real quick, no place else in the Bible does a man accept responsibility of his act, for his actions if he can blame a woman. Adam blamed Eve. Abraham blamed Sarah. Jacob refuses to pray for Rachel because it's not my place. I'm not God. Right. Um, Jacob remains silent when Dina is, is raped. Judah um, blames the death of his sons on Tamar. And mm-hmm. so it's only when Judah takes responsibility that we actually see some progress. But the bottom line here in all of this is even though the culture may have failed to value and protect women, God consistently 
proves his caring willingness to act on the behalf of women over and over again. And even more so in the cases where the men have wronged the women. Right. So, so, and so like, instead of, instead of just insisting on, on focusing and, and building and perceiving the value of what we're doing and the values of the Bible, uh, through the lens of how the men screwed up. Right. Let's look at it through how, through what God says about them and not what the, the fallen men have said about right because the men do screw up and and the bible makes it very clear it makes no apologies for them it doesn't cover it up it doesn't say well it's okay that they acted this way god says despite what the men have decided to do i'm going to be the one that steps up and i'm going to take care of the women Mm -hmm. And, and that's the hope and that's the joy that our 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 salvation uh, and in their case, their physical salvation mm-hmm. was not dependent on the men. It was dependent on God himself. And this is a God who heard the prayers of the women. And yeah. even when they didn't know to pray, he was still paying attention. And that I think that's, that's the beauty of it. And, and there's no whitewashing of the way Abraham treated Hagar or treated Sarah mm-hmm. or Jacob with Leah and Rachel. It, the Bible's very real. And it condemns. As a matter of fact, one of the really cool things about uh, judges that we're getting ready to go into is there's a lot of abuse of women. Now, that's not the cool part. The cool part mm-hmm. is that every time there is abuse, it is shown as being against God's desire and the result of turning away from him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I, the Bible is not about trying to put women down because men are better. Uh, the Bible actually is what laid the groundwork for what we call feminism. Right. Uh, and so, you know, we can even go further. I stopped there, Genesis, because that's where we are. But, you know, even the first woman to, well, the first person to announce that the Messiah is coming it is Hannah in mm-hmm. Samuel 2. And so... The first people to announce the Messiah is risen. <laughs> are the women. Are the women, yeah. And so it, it goes throughout the entire Bible. And, and again, you know, we didn't set out to look for this stuff. We just, we're just... <laughs> taking an honest look at the text right, and, and really going, no, the Bible literally says this. And if you're going to take the Bible seriously, you have to agree with what it actually says mm-hmm. and not what traditions have been piled on top of it and not what people have lied about it and said. Right. Right. And, and unfortunately, we've got lies that come from the church himself, the church who, who says that women are not as good as men. And Sorry, I wasn't we, expecting. That. Well, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's true. true. It, yeah. <laughs> and then we've got lies that come from from people who just want to oppose the Bible and say, oh, you shouldn't trust this book because look how badly women are treated. And neither one of those is going to get you to the truth. The truth is, comes only from studying the word because mm-hmm. this is our objective standard of what truth is and what's been given to us as our guide. And so we don't need to, you know, listen to the other opinions. Sure. But measure them. Be, yeah, be aware of what people are saying. Absolutely. And so, yeah, that's because there's, there's definitely some learning tools out there that we may not agree with. But what they can tell you is how we can be better, mm-hmm. at, at, you know, better studiers. And so, anyway, so, anything else on those? Or? Yeah, I think I reined myself in quite nicely there. Say, I think we did pretty good. Um, <laughs> I get really wound up on this one. Oh, yeah, I, I believe it. Yeah. And but I, I, I think there was a lot of just fantastic information in there um so anyway and we are a little over of what we usually are but you know yeah just a few minutes i think everyone's fine with that so but yeah so that's genesis that's the recap um if there are any more questions out there um don't feel like we don't feel like you have to wait till we're in a book to ask questions about it um it is helpful if we already are there but we will answer at any time. So if you think of something that with the Genesis series that you're, that you're curious about, hit us up. Um, mm-hmm. And to do that, um, hit us up on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at Raven Creek SC. That's our, our handle there. Uh, you can go to our website, ravencreeksc.com. Uh, there you can find um, our show, also the commentarians. And uh, best thing you can do to help us out if you're interested is be sure to share, share, share mm-hmm. if you are interested in helping us out even more. We do have a Patreon. Uh, you can uh, give a monthly donation. 
um, different levels there. There are some different reward levels that come along with that. Mm-hmm. And we're be, we're glad to give out those rewards. I actually need to send out two more coffee mugs this month. Yay. And uh, I just haven't got to it yet, but they are on the way. They'll get there <laughs> if you've been waiting. Um, and to those who have already received them, uh, we still, we, we, we love you and we appreciate it. Um, so um, in the meantime, hit us up on a, be part of the conversation. Raven Creek SC, find us anywhere on social media. So <laughs> We're out there. <laughs> we're out there and we love to hear from you. So. Thanks for joining us, and we'll be back next week with our intro to the Book of Judges. Yeah. So, thanks. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to the Faith and Other Oddities podcast, a Raven Creek Social Club production. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you like what you've heard, please write us a review on iTunes, or consider supporting us on patreon.com slash ravencreeksc. As always, thank you for listening and don't forget to join us next week.